All right. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think I'd be crying before I started, but uh, it's a good start. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, uh, me and my wife, Maria, we're home group leaders here. We've been here about six years, and uh, excited to do this. It's been uh, actually really encouraging. I'll be studying uh, Colossians, which is what we'll be going through today, and uh, I admit that I cheated a bit. We went through this in our home group uh, over the last couple months, so uh, give them part of the credit, too. Um, but I just wanted to give a preface for what this is about. Um, I think for a lot of us, it's easy to go through the Christian life, and we come to church, and we know we're supposed to read the Word and do all that sort of Christian stuff, but we just sort of have this empty, nagging feeling that there's something more, and this passage is all about what we have in Jesus, about how good He is to us. And so for those of you that are feeling dry, those of you that aren't really feeling like Jesus is everything as it sounds like other people are experiencing, there's hope for you. I encourage you uh, to really look at the scriptures this morning because he's got something impactful and meaningful about just the richness of Jesus. Um, and also I'd say that um, this passage is challenging because it's saying that it's not just about uh, what Jesus has done for us, it's also about what we do. And uh, for those of us uh, that feel like we're struggling to continue in faith, this passage has a, a stern warning for us that we do have to continue in faith or else uh, we face God's punishment. Um, so let's start with prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we love Jesus. We love your Son. And today, um, especially for me, Lord, let me not get in the way of your word. Lord, let your word go out boldly. Let it go out clearly. And let Mercy Hill, Lord, hear your word straight from you and be encouraged to follow Jesus, to see him for who he really is, and to walk continuing in faith loving Jesus and loving those around them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, it's critically important this morning that you have the word in front of you. Uh, I could share lots of thoughts about what I think the scripture says, but that's not important. What you really need is the scripture. So uh, there's the Bible's being passed out. Um, I encourage you to grab that because you don't need me. You need the scriptures. Uh, I'd love for you to follow along with me this morning. I believe it's on page 983 and the uh, Bible's being passed out. So let me start by talking about uh, the letter to the Colossians. As we're looking at chapter 1 of Colossians, uh, verses 13 through 23, let me just sort of set up what the letter to the Colossians is. Uh, so the church in uh, Colossae was founded by Epaphras. Um, he became a Christian um, by going to Ephesus. Paul spent two missionary journeys going to Ephesus. Oh, look, there's a picture up there on the wall. Uh, so... Uh, Paul, in his second and third missionary journeys, actually spent a couple years in Ephesus, preached the word to a lot of people. Uh, Epaphras went there, got saved, came back to Colossae, and that's how the church started. Uh, the book of Colossians is the first letter from Paul to the Colossian church. And um, now in about 62 AD with Paul in Rome, uh, he's writing a letter to them. And Paul says uh, at the beginning of the letter just how amazing God is for saving these people. And he is just encouraged by their hope laid up for them in heaven. And even more so that that hope has stirred them on to acts of love and acts of service. And that there's fruit that's coming out of their life because of what Jesus has done for them. And that's uh, where we start today in uh, verse 13. Uh, there's two main sections of today. Uh, there's uh, verses 13 through 22, which is all about everything we have in Jesus. 
And then that leads us to the second part, which is uh, the warning, which is to say that we, it is so important that we continue in faith. So let's start with verses 13 through 14. Uh, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This verse is just so powerful to me. Uh, there's uh, a whole group of people in North Korea right now in concentration camps. 200,000 men, women, and children are in prison camps in North Korea. Um, they face torture. They face abuse. Uh, they die there, and uh, very few people escape. Uh, in fact, there's only been three known escape attempts from North Korea that have been successful. Uh, one of those is Shindong. Uh, he was born in Camp 14, and he spent the first 23 years of his life in constant fear. Uh, he was tortured over a coal fire um, by the prison guards, seriously burning his back and legs. Uh, they also forced them to work in labor camps. Uh, and once he accidentally dropped a sewing machine, and one of the guards cut off his finger as punishment. Uh, and when he was 23 years old, he escaped through an electric fence, climbing over the back of one of his dead prisoners over the electric fence and made it out. And he now goes around the world sharing the news of what is going on in North Korea and sharing about how uh, they need to do something. You know, we hear stories like this, and, it, and we hear it on CNN. We have so much of a better story as Christians. We're like that Shindong from North Korea. We were in a prison camp of sin, as we look to our future, the only thing we saw was darkness and oppression and no hope. And the thing that's different about us is that we deserve to be there. The North Koreans don't deserve to be there, but we do. And our sin and our rebellion against God, we are rightfully condemned. We are rightfully placed in that uh, torture of sin. And it's all in our own doing. But... Unmerited on our own, Jesus has saved us. He took us out of that prison camp of sin by dying on the cross, by being resurrected and coming to life. He took the punishment we deserved, and he took us out of that prison camp of sin and placed us into new life with him. And he talks about how we have redemption. It's him and what he's done for us about taking us out of that bondage. And it's just amazing how he's reclaimed us and restored us and brought us into the kingdom of uh, Jesus. Now, at this point, I mean, we could just do verses 13 and 14 and leave it at that. But Paul wants to just overwhelm us with how amazing Jesus is. So that's where we have verses 15 through 22. So put on your seatbelt. There's a whole bunch of good stuff about what Jesus is. Uh, so let's start with verses 15 through 17. And this is about how Jesus reigns over creation all-powerful. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I just, this is amazing to me, just this packed, rich, deep truth of who Jesus is. So let's just look at this and let it sink in about who, how powerful Jesus is. It's so easy to read this and just like, oh yeah, Jesus stuff. I mean, this is meaty stuff. Do you ever wonder what Jesus looks like or who God looks like? We look at Jesus and we can see who this invisible God is by the person of Jesus in the scripture. Uh, Jesus is also the firstborn, meaning that he carries all the rights and privileges of a firstborn son. Uh, he also made 
everything. Absolutely everything. When we look at creation, when we look at the towering redwoods, we look at the Pacific Ocean, when we look at the Everest, all these things were created by God and through Jesus. We also look at heaven. We look at stars and heavens and angels. All this created by Jesus. And then you have to ask just, what else? He also made the governing authorities. That just seems like a, a bizarre description. Why? It was for him because when we see these powerful militaries and all their strength and all their splendor, he is even more powerful, even more glorious, and even more strong than all these governing bodies. They all point us back to how big, strong, creative, and just glorious Jesus is. All of these are lesser than him. It just Every time we see these things, we should see Jesus as being even greater, even stronger. Uh, Jesus is also before all things. He comes first. And this is one is my favorite. He says, all things hold together by Jesus. I took material science as my major, and I just love studying uh, cell structures. And all that strength is Jesus. I would simply, in my body right now, just fall to pieces if it wasn't Jesus right now holding me together. And it's just amazing to me to think about atoms or strong alloys of metal. Jesus holds all of that together. And it just is amazing to me to just think that our world would simply not exist, and even right now would not be sustained without Jesus. He is just powerful and huge. And then, if that's not enough, he goes on to describe how Jesus is reigning strong and sustains the church body. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. It's amazing all the different parallels between what Jesus has done in creation and what he also does over the church. If you just look at who's the head of the church or uh, the leader of the church, it's Jesus. He is the one who reigns over us. It's, uh, yes, we, we appreciate Pastor Steve, but Jesus is the one who sustains the church. He's the one that governs over us. And just as he is also the firstborn of creation, he's also the firstborn of the dead. When we look to the cross, it's not just being punished for our sins, but he also raised to new life. He is the firstborn, and he reigns all-powerful over death. Death does not hold power over Jesus. Uh, and so why is that important? I think the most important thing is here, it says that so that he would be preeminent. That is, he's prominent, distinguished, surpassing all others. No one or anything can excel, excel above Jesus. He is everything. And so it's like Paul is just saying, any possible dimension you can think of, Jesus is better than that. He is amazing. And this one is actually, I just, I love, there's so many good things in here, but this is one of my favorite. He talks about how the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. Now, what does that mean, the fullness of God? Uh, it, I studied the scriptures, and Second Chronicles 7 gave us a glimpse of what the fullness of God might look like. Um, so this is an example from the Old Testament where King Solomon, after finished building this immaculate temple for God uh, and his prayer, what happened? So it says, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, 
they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. I'm just imagining fire pouring down from heaven and like the glory in this smoke and people are just fall on their faces and say, whoa, this is God. And all of that, it sucked up in Jesus. Jesus, All of that was not only just in Jesus, it was pleased to dwell in Jesus. I mean, are you getting this? I mean, Jesus is awesome. <laughs> and so, and again, all this just sums up with this last statement. He's saying, Jesus reconciles all things to himself. Through the blood of Jesus, through his payment on the cross, he reconciles sinners like me, like you, to be made right before God, not by any works or merit of our own. He reconciles us to him on the cross. And so just as the only way the world is sustained is through Jesus, the only way that we can be made right before God is through Jesus. Now, this can sound like some just interesting factoids that you can remember and you know put on flashcards, but this is real. This is real for your soul. This is real for your heart. This is where verses 21 and 22 are important. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And this is just an amazing reminder of who Jesus is. If you're trusting Jesus as your uh, Savior, Lord, and treasure, it's just an amazing term to be reminded how we were alienated from God by our actions. We were hostile in mind. We were doing things that uh, caused us to reject God and dishonor him. But in spite of us, in spite of the fact that everything we did deserved eternal punishment, Jesus reconciled us. He took the beatings that I deserved. He suffered the blows that you earned. He received a humiliating crucifixion on a cross so that you wouldn't have to. You've been saved from certain death in a prison camp and been set free. So, even more amazing than this, Jesus now stands before the Father saying, accept him, accept him because of my cross, accept him because of my blood. Not only accept him, but accept him as blameless. (laughs) That just, it seems scandalous. Why would Jesus call us to do that. Well, I mean, it just seems bizarre to think that I would be considered above reproach. I mean, if you looked at what's going on in my mind, there's nothing above reproach about it, but Jesus' blood covers us as our high priest and calls us above reproach before God the Father. Uh, Just yesterday, I was, um, after a long week, uh, my home group's been praying for me. I've been working a lot of hours, up to 16 hours a day for this project. And I just, I was feeling dry. I mean, just bone dry, just nothing to give. And yeah, you could go through the Christian checkbox of, yes, I was reading the Word and praying, but I just, I had nothing in me. I just, I felt bone dry. And uh, I came before Jesus. I just got on my face, just like the Israelites did in the temple. And I said, Lord, I'm not feeling it. I, I know I've got church, but even more importantly than that, I just, I don't have anything inside of me. And so I just confessed my need for him, and it was amazing to me. I, I, <laughs> I said I needed to meet him, and he, he met me in a very real, tangible way. This wasn't just thoughts and perspectives. This was Jesus filling my heart and satisfying me. And through the literally tears of joy, um, I was laughing to myself. I said, all week I could have had this. 
And yet, instead, I just kept grinding through the day. And it was just amazing to me that Jesus, when we call out to him, he'll meet us in a really powerful way so that we are in him and satisfied in him. It's not just thoughts and ideas. It's real. It's in our hearts. Uh, For those of you that uh, haven't come to rely on Jesus, I'm really glad you're here. If this sounds interesting to you, I really encourage you to take what Paul is saying to the Colossian church. I encourage you to read these and take them for yourself because uh, Jesus is able to cover over your sins and make you blameless before God. Now, this all sounds like all goodness at this point. You could think, cool, I'm all set. Nothing else to do. That's That was fun. <laughs> Yay, Jesus. But if you'll notice, uh, the promise is conditional. There's a if. Let's read um, verses 21 through 22 again, and then go on to verse 23. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, did you notice that there's a connection here? There's a connection between the reconciliation and the if, if you continue in the faith. So uh, this could look really scary. I, when I first saw this, I just wondered, what, well, what does this mean? This if must mean something serious. And he goes on to describe it as stable and steadfast, not shifting. So I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not stable and steadfast. There's that old hymn that talks about prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's me. So how do you reconcile that that's what I know my heart is? Not stable, not steadfast. And yet this call, to if you continue stable in the faith, they don't work together. And I struggled with this, and I hope that you struggle with me through it. So let's first start by clarifying, well, what is the hope of the gospel? Because that seems to be where he hangs this on. This can sound like a lot of Christian buzzwords, and we, we use this word a lot, so let's really see what Paul meant by this. If we look just a few verses earlier in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, he says this, We think, or we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. So there's a couple of key attributes of what the gospel is that are very simple. Uh, Verse 5, it says, it's, number one, the word of truth. This isn't just fun ideas. This is reality. This is truth. This is about what Jesus has done for undeserving sinners like you and me. Uh, The second part is that it's hope. This is a forward-looking reality of heaven. This is the hope laid up for us in heaven. You know, notice that he doesn't mention what the Colossians did, and it's not what we do. This is all unmerited grace of what Jesus is doing for uh, sinners like us. But it goes on to verse 6 to say that it also bears fruit and increases. See, This isn't just a truth and about a future and having your golden ticket. This is about here today. This is about what's happening in your life and about how the gospel does something in you. It doesn't just sprout a little bit of fruit. It is something that continues to grow and nourish and flourish and increase. 
So this leads us to directly stare at the word if. If we continue in the faith. Um, see, we just saw that it's not a mental agreement about facts, something that happens on the inside of us. But uh, the danger here is to be like good uh, Calvinist-thinking people. It's all about God and what he did, and I don't have to do anything. And that's not true. Paul wouldn't write if that wasn't true. In fact, if we look at James 2, uh, it says it even more clearly. Uh, James, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It doesn't get much more clear than that. Our faith has works. See, Christ's reconciliation for unworthy sinners and representing the blameless before God assumes that we have faith, and that faith results in fruit. Um, so let me just take a quick pause there, because you're probably thinking, fruit, that seems bizarre. I don't know what that means, apples and oranges. The Colossians 4 talks a little bit about what that fruit might be. Um, he, so just one thing. He, uh, Paul commands the Colossian church to continue steadfastly in prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'd rather sleep in that extra 30 minutes and not wake up early to pray. Um, he also commands us to make the best use of our time. How much of us are more drawn to the latest sitcom and being steadfast and watching that versus being uh, steadfast and making the best use of our time? He also says that we should always let our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. How tempting is the salt of gossip? Doesn't that just sometimes taste a lot better to us than uh, being gracious? So this is, again, where we fall into another trap. Okay, well, we're not supposed to just say it's all Jesus and not works. I'm going to do it. I'm going to wake up early. I will not say nasty things. I will turn off the TV and read the Word. And it, we sort of have this clenched fist, John Wayne bootstrap, pull ourselves up, we're going to do it. Uh, and you know what? Jesus calls us out on that one too. <laughs> Jesus says himself in John fifteen four, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. See, we can't bear fruit on our own. We need to be tapped into the vine of Jesus. See, all our attempts at good works, at you know, Christian fruit, on our own, they're not fruit. See, we can tithe, we can try to be nice to our spouses, we can try to give to the poor, but all that stuff, when it's motivated out of self-action, is not fruit. Jesus says it's not. And so that's where it can feel like you're in a game of ping pong. Okay, so on the one hand, my faith is not formed by uh, actions, but yet on the other hand, if my faith doesn't have actions, I'm not saved. And you're just thinking, okay, now I'm getting really frustrated because I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so this is why I love Colossians. This is where I just love what Paul was saying about Jesus. Because this just, I've read this verse, I don't know, countless times, and it never occurred to me why he spent so much time chalking up Jesus. And this is why. Get this, Mercy Hill. Christian faith is based on scandalous love. Jesus is the most glorious, awesome, powerful being in the whole universe. He is God, every bit of him, the fullness, the glory. He is everything. 
And yet that same glorious, all-powerful being came down to save a little scrawny, nothing rat like me. I didn't deserve it. There was, he was perfectly just in smashing me, and he didn't do it. And even so, he didn't just save me to just add me to his, you know, kingdom. And he never looked at me. There is a deep, passionate relationship there. See, this is a deeply heart-satisfying union with God, a real affection, a real relationship. See, all this stuff that Paul mentions about how glorious Jesus is is because he wants us to understand that the works are not motivated by brute force. It's motivated by a heart that is just overwhelmingly joy-filled and satisfied by Jesus. He wants us to remember, I used to be in that prison camp of sin. I used to be just in torture with sin. But Jesus has done something amazing in me, and I can be overwhelmingly filled in him. And that's why I, I do the actions I do. I do them because of what Jesus has done for me. And this is actually kind of funny because I, I feel like um, we are a bit like uh, the people from Stockholm. Have you heard of the Stockholm Syndrome? 1973, there was a bank robbery. Uh, a couple robbers stormed a bank with machine guns, and they took over the place, and they took four captives for five days. They strapped them up with dynamite, they tortured them, they abused them, and yet when it was all done, even afterwards, those same captors defended them in court. You think, why would they justify the people that were their captors? And it's almost like we do the same thing. I just struggle with the sin of lust. It's just my cross to bear. Or I struggle with uh, comfort. Why are you hanging on to that garbage? It's junk. Here's Jesus who's all-glorious, all-powerful, and you're hanging on to the same trash that was your prison camp. Why, why go back to it? And that's just the surprising thing is that, man, we say that we are serious about sin and yet we look at the woman with the low-cut dress and say, oh, I just I struggle with that. It's like, leave your sin. That stuff is garbage. And the same thing, it's like we trust this big bank account and stable circumstances and things that don't change and say, well, I, I just struggle with the idol of comfort. Why? You have a powerful, strong guide who will encourage you and you're hanging on to trash. Why would you do that? So Paul would say that, I mean, just look at verse 21. It clearly says that those evil deeds alienate us from God. Why would you alienate yourself from God? You're scorning the death of Jesus by hanging on to those things. He died so that you wouldn't be in sin. And so if you're not fleeing from your sins, this is where the if comes in. If you're not fleeing from your sins and return to Jesus as your Lord, Savior, and treasure, you're not continuing in the faith. So this is where it's deathly serious, Mercy Hill. We need to continue in the faith. We need to continue to go to Jesus and be able to surrender ourselves to him, not just for not going to hell. This is about joy. I mean, this is deeply motivated by who Jesus is and how glorious he is. And so I would also say that as you look at um, the idea of bearing fruit is that, um, again, we should bear fruit in keeping with the gospel. This isn't just about fleeing from things that we shouldn't be in. This is also about us doing the things that we're supposed to do. So... Um, when we abide in Jesus' love with him as the branch, when we stay rooted in him, 
we have incredible joy, incredible life that we can then share with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our spouse. When we tap into that, that's when we can really see and do what Jesus commands us to do. Um, and, and that's the thing is, we should soak in how just glorious Jesus is. We should hang on to verses like 15 through 20 and say, Jesus has reconciliation drenched love for me, and I'm turning instead to trash. Why would I do that? And so when you soak in his love, when you just experience the fullness that's in God, that's when we have fruit that comes out of us. We're abiding in Jesus when we are in his presence and talking to him. And so that's where the if comes in. The continuing in the faith is continuing to go back to Jesus for our satisfaction. And as we do that, that's um, how we bear fruit. We don't do it perfectly, but uh, we always turn back to the one who reconciles us. So uh, four takeaways for us today. Um, There's a lot of stuff I covered quickly. I always tell myself to go slow, but I don't. One, just ask God to give you a bigger picture of Jesus. We have such a small view of Jesus. Jesus is big. Don't settle for that. You don't want a Jesus of children's stories. You want a big, powerful Jesus who can tackle your problems. Don't settle for that. So talk to Jesus. Talk to the Father about having a bigger view of him. Reject Silicon Valley's view of lesser pleasures and a lesser Jesus. Jesus is much bigger than anything that we dare to even think he is. Uh, second one, don't just pray about it. Read the scriptures. There are powerful truths about how big and glorious Jesus is. So read verses like Colossians 1 through 15 through 20. It's just enlarging in your heart to just see Jesus as strong, as powerful, as loving. Uh, because we need to renew our minds. I mean, Romans talks about that, renewing our minds and being able to see Jesus for who he is. Uh, the third one here is to fight sin and lesser satisfactions. Um, it just amazes me. Why would we want to have the trash of sin? Be, seek what really satisfies. If Jesus is all that we talk about who he is, seek him for that. Take him at his word. Fight the garbage that we seek that's lesser. Go for what really is going to satisfy you. Why would we want to go back to the prison camp? And then this last one, uh, pursuing and bearing fruit. Uh, We're not just fighting sin. We're about uh, also abiding in Jesus and abiding in his love. And the output of that is that he will bear fruit through us. And so I, I just encourage you that Jesus is everything that you need and more, and then some. And uh, so if we continue to go to him, we will continue in the faith. And I, um, as I just close out here, I know I went quick, but um, I just, I encourage you, you probably have a sense of things that you've been holding on to. Maybe you're feeling dry. Maybe you're feeling like uh, you just haven't experienced Jesus in a while. Why leave today feeling that way? Jesus wants to meet with you. He doesn't have this elaborate description of who Jesus is in Colossians just because it's some fun story. It's reality. In the same way, Jesus did not die on the cross just so that you would have some dry, vague sense of him. He wants you to have a personal relationship with him that's deeply impactful for your life. And I'd also say that if you have sins that you're hanging on to, if there's things that you know in your heart that you just struggle with, 
why continue to struggle? Fight that. Come forward and get the power of God to come into your life and so that you're free from those. Why would you want to continue again to be in that prison camp of sin when God has real life for you? And I would also say, uh, this all seems very foreign to you, but seems a bit interesting. Come forward. Let's pray for you. God's got something real he wants to do in your heart. You know, Again, this isn't about the whole coming forward thing. This is about meeting with God. And if you want to meet with him and experience what he says that he is, the experience that he describes here, he's got that for you. He's not going to hold it back. Come forward and get prayer so that he can meet you in a very powerful way, in a way that will change your heart. Uh, Let's just pray and close out. Um, Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and we are so grateful for Jesus. Jesus is everything that we have. He is our deep satisfaction. He is our our hope. And right now, Lord, I just ask that you would be stirring in hearts. Um, Lord, we know that we don't seek you fully. Just this week I was talking to some brothers about how uh, our motivation to fight sin is sometimes much less than it should be. Sin does draw us. It's almost like we do have Stockholm Syndrome, Lord. But Lord, we want to see you. We want to treasure you because you are better than this. And Lord, just stir up our heart affections for you that we would see you for everything that you are and just treasure you. Lord, we love you. And again, I ask that you would draw all of us closer to you because you are the only thing that we have. You are the only thing that's going to make us right before the Father. And we want to lead a life that bears fruit. We want to lead a life that glorifies you. We're going to spend the rest of eternity with you, Lord, and we want to be there glorifying your name then and now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, We're going to have some folks, as I said, come up here and uh, be able to pray for you. But if there's anything you want prayer for, come up. God has got a powerful experience deep in your heart, changing you, freeing you from that prison camp of sin that you may experience life in him. So please, come up forward. He's got it for you.